0: Well, uh, the series that we're in right now is called A New Thing. It's based upon the book of Acts, which was written by a very competent, highly educated historian and as well a doctor named Luke. Luke was educated most likely in the ancient university city of Antioch, uh, and he became an avid follower of Jesus Christ. And he really became the historian, the primary historian of the New Testament. He wrote both the Gospel of Luke and then, which is the story of Jesus, and then he wrote the story of the church, its first 40 years, in the book of Acts, two volumes in the New Testament. Uh, This morning, we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 23. This is the plot against the great missionary, the Apostle Paul, and uh, chapters 13 through chapters 28 are devoted to how Paul was used by God to spread the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world. We're going to learn a little bit more about that this morning. In all the places Paul traveled to share the gospel, there were two cities that he deeply wanted to bring the message of Jesus to. One of those was Jerusalem where he had, from a young age, been trained as a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were like the core religious leaders of the Jewish people. And Paul grew up through that, and he became the most passionate, zealous Pharisee of them all. He even called himself the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And at first, Paul turned all of that zeal against this whole Jesus resurrection rumor. Considered to be a cult. And Paul, above all the others, he was leading the way to stamp this out, so much so that he was having people put in jail. He was even consenting to, the people, to people being put to death for having this belief in this cult figure, Jesus. We know the story that Paul himself shares. Paul was on his way to Damascus to, to carry out more of this destruction of the church. He was like, an, he was like a predator, an animal just tearing the church apart. Well, anyhow, on his way to Damascus, Paul had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus that completely turned his life in a different direction. And you know what? Having an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ will do that. (laughs) It'll turn a person's life around. It'll change directions. That's what happened to Paul. And so for the next 25 years, that's where we're at. Uh, Paul shares the gospel throughout that Mediterranean world, but all during that time he has this deep desire in his heart, there's two places I really want to have a chance to share this gospel. The first was in Jerusalem. He had never had that opportunity until 25 years into his ministry. And then we looked last week how Paul makes this final trip to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, uh, and he has the chance to go into the Jewish Religious Council where the Pharisees were, and he shares with them his own story about how he had met Jesus Christ personally. Jesus had revealed himself to him, and he was expecting, they're going to believe me because I was once one of them, just hated Jesus as much as they do. They're going to believe me, but it turned out Paul's hopes were completely crushed because their reaction was pure violence and pure anger. In fact, it got so bad that the Roman commander who was there thought they were going to tear Paul apart. And so the Roman commander gets Paul out of there, puts him back in the jail cell. Now the Romans, they didn't know what was causing all this fu- this uh, crisis and this, uh, this ruckus. They didn't know what was going on. They thought maybe Paul was behind it. So they put Paul in jail. Uh, and and that had to be the lonely, one of the lowest nights in Paul's life, waiting 25 years to share the gospel with his fellow Pharisees and having them just completely turn against, turn against it. He had to be crushed that night. Now, the other city that Paul was, where he wanted to deeply share Jesus was in Rome. Rome was the capital of the world, the ancient world. And earlier on his missionary journey, when he had been in the city of Corinth, he wrote a letter to the Christians in Rome where he expresses his heart toward them. Let me read just a little bit of this. He says in chapter 1, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by you. So Paul is just imagining what it's going to be like when he gets up there to to meet all these Christians in Rome. He says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented even up until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. And then here we get to Paul's, here's what motivates Paul. For I have a great sense of obligation, To people both in the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news too. So here's Paul in jail. He thinks he's gonna die. He thinks he's gonna he's a goner. He thinks that he's not not only did the mission in with the Pharisees fail. But he's never going to get a chance to go to Rome and fulfill that of a deep desire. But in verse 11 of chapter 23, that night while he was in jail, Luke tells us that the Lord appeared to Paul that night and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must also preach the good news in Rome as well. So Paul was encouraged. But you know what? The fact that he was encouraged and the Lord had reminded him that he was present with him did not remove the threat and the danger against his life. It, in fact, it was far from over. In the next, very next verses, Luke tells us this. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy They went to the leading priest and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again, pretend you want to examine his case more fully, and we will kill him on the way. So put yourself in Paul's place. Uh, There's a conspiracy. There is a plot to finish off his life. Now, What happens next is Luke tells us how Paul's nephew, it's the only time Paul's nephew is mentioned in the entire Bible, uh, he heard about this and he warned the Roman commander. Then the commander decides to send Paul to the Roman governor whose name is Felix in Caesarea, 75 miles away to the north. And to protect Paul, so he gets there, he puts an escort of about 400 soldiers to guard Paul and make sure he escapes this dangerous plot. Then the commander goes back to the Jewish council, and he tells them that he's sending Paul to the governor Felix, and if you want to continue your charges against him, then you can go to governor Felix and present your case against Paul, which is what they do, and we'll learn about that next week. But uh, just a little glimpse into next week. Paul goes to Caesarea. Luke says he's in prison for five days. And then he has his trial before the governor Felix. And here's just one spoiler for next week. The outcome of that trial is that Paul appeals his case to Caesar himself. And so in the middle of all this terrible conspiracy, in the middle of all the suffering and and the fears that Paul must have felt, the Lord makes the way for Paul to go to Rome. But Paul himself will say next week, I'm going to Rome in chains. He's going there as a prisoner. But his heart is glad because he's going to get to go to Rome and share the gospel. Now, there's something really important that we can learn from this chapter in Paul's life that I believe is also being played out in your lives and mine in different ways, but still a lot of similarity. Paul understood this that behind the human plots against him there was a spiritual dimension that was the real source of the plots to destroy him paul states this when he wrote his letter to the christians in ephesus this is what he says in ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 he says for we are not fighting against flesh and blood uh, flesh and blood enemies but against the evil rulers, the authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places, the spiritual realm. What Paul is saying is he's ex- Paul is expanding the human view of reality behind the emotional, the intellectual, the psychological, and the social explanations of all the pressures that come against us in life of all the evil and all the suffering that come our way, Paul is saying that there is a very, very real spiritual dimension to this. There is a spiritual layer to this. And he says we're not fighting. The word he uses there is hand-to-hand combat. And Would any of you say that sometimes uh, the pressures of our life in this dark and very difficult world, sometimes it feels like we're in hand-to-hand combat? It's, it's tough. Paul's saying there is a dimension behind that that ultimately is its source that sometimes we lose lose track of. Now, the reality of this invisible spiritual realm is a strong spiritual being whose name or title is Satan, the adversary. He is identified in the scripture as a once great angelic being who chose to turn against God And for the most part, has been written off in the 21st century as purely imaginary. But here's something we need to remember in the 21st century. Jesus did not write Satan off. In fact, Jesus' ministry started with a direct 40-day encounter face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat with Satan in the wilderness whereas Jesus was severely tempted by Satan. And then in every day of his ministry, every page of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single page, who is Jesus encountering? He is encountering this unseen spiritual dimension led by Satan. He deals with demonic reality. He deals with satanic reality. And he was setting people free from the damage that Satan is ultimately responsible by luring human beings. And remember, Jesus called Satan the father of all lies because Satan seductively leads humanity away from God by his power to suggest and to implant thoughts and ideas into the human mind, which then become our philosophies, our false beliefs, our false religions, our false caricatures of God, our false views of the value of human life, our false views of the purpose and meaning of human life. Satan has come to completely turn upside down everything God created us to understand about reality. You know, all of us live with a worldview, which is our way of interpreting reality. We all have one. Paul embraced the worldview of Jesus, and I think he was extremely wise to do so, and I think you and I are extremely wise to embrace the worldview of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is who he said he was, then there's no one who understands reality more completely than he does. So Paul embraced that. Now, so what we understand from Paul's life and what is true of your life and mine is that Satan has plotted against all humanity. And I believe there's two levels at which that plot is being carried out. I'd like us to take a look at those. Number one, Satan is plotting your destruction simply because you are a human being. He hates human beings. Why? Because all human beings are made in the image of God. And Satan hates God. He hates you, he hates me. God made us in his image, what does that mean? He gave us a mind, we can think, we can plan. He gave us a will, we can choose. He gave us a conscience, we can discern between what is right and what is wrong. He gave us, he planted inside of every human being a longing for significance and meaning that has eternal dimensions to it. We fight death. Why? Because God put into our soul eternity. The scripture says that. God put into our, he wired us to live and flourish with a deep awareness of our meaning and our purpose. All of which is rooted in knowing that God loves us. But Satan hates you because you are an image bearer of God and he is intent to lead you away from God to embrace his many lies. He has several lies. One of them is this. He wants to lead you into living a self-made life, seeing that you have no real need for God. He wants to lead you into choices that will do you great harm. I think this is a big one. He wants, to, he wants you to interpret suffering and pain and loss as evidence that God is not good, or even more, that God isn't even there. Because the question of suffering, I believe more than any other thing, has turned more people away from God than any other thing. Now our dilemma started when our first parents opened the door to Satan's influence throughout the human family tree by their choice to believe Satan's lie, that God was an obstacle to their own fulfillment and that God was trying to impose limits upon them. So Adam and Eve, they chose to walk away from God. And that impacted the family tree so that the relationship between God and humanity was lost. And injustice and pain and loss came into our world And we all suffer. You know, even innocent ones suffer. We have an example of that over this past week. We've all been deeply stirred and disturbed listening to the story of Andrew A.J. Friend from up in Crystal Lake, five-year-old boy who was killed by his very troubled and extremely dysfunctional parents. A lot of people would look at the story of Andrew and say, There cannot possibly be a good God in this world, in this universe, who could let something so brutal as that happen to an innocent five-year-old boy. That's the lie Satan sells. And he's been selling that lie about suffering and pain throughout the centuries to drive a wedge between our understanding of God and even his existence. The fact is this that human beings alienated from God, who have taken paths far away from God, are capable of doing great evil. And ultimately, behind that inspiration for evil, Jesus is saying, lies the one who has pure hatred. For every innocent child, for every human being, for every image-bearer of God, Satan hates with pure hatred. And he would destroy us all. So God was not behind. We live in a world that has fallen and gone off the rails. Satan's influence has come into the picture. But we do know this, that A.J. is with the Lord now as are all other children who die in their innocence. It deeply disturbs our hearts. But we know A.J., A.J. is with the Lord. Now, the message of Jesus that Paul went around sharing with the entire ancient world, he brought to people a totally new way to understand pain and justice. Because God himself in the person of Jesus Christ came into our suffering world and became the greatest victim of injustice, abuse, and pain in human history. That's why we celebrated Good Friday. Jesus identified with all of our pain. He even identified with what happened in Crystal Lake. Jesus bore all the horror of sin, all of human dysfunction. He also bore all the pain that is a result of it. Isaiah says in chapter 53 that when Jesus went on the cross, he carried both our sins and our sorrows, our sins and our wounds. Jesus took it all upon the cross. He allowed Satan to empty all of his hatred toward humanity upon himself so that when you are in pain, when you are suffering loss, you will know that Jesus Christ understands what you're going through. He was there. He also bore our pain to go one step further than that. He bore our pain so that we can come to him and he can become our healer and help us come through that pain. In fact, he even promises if we'll take our sorrow and pain and bring it to him, he will somehow Work that into the fabric of his will and his purpose for our life. He'll bring good out of the most horrible of human circumstances. He turns the table on the enemy. And that's what Easter is all about. That there is resurrection, there is life, there is a future beyond the most dark day that we can ever experience in this world. And the most terrific hurt that can ever be life blow that we can ever experience. There is resurrection after that if we trust in the one who resurrected from the dead. So Paul called people to come to Jesus not only with their sins but with their pain. But I have a question here. Does following Jesus bring an end to the suffering we experience in this world? Well, we know the answer to that. But it leads us to the second level of Satan's plot against humanity. And that's this. That Satan plots the destruction of those who follow Jesus. So if you're a human being who has chosen to be a follower of Jesus, the plot against you has doubled. Satan's plot to destroy you has tripled in intensity. Because Satan seeks to destroy you not only as a human being made in the image of God... But now his rage is against you and the intensity of his plot to destroy you now matches his hatred of Jesus. He now holds a crucifixion level kind of hatred toward every follower of Jesus Christ. And Luke tells us that on the morning after the Lord came to Paul to encourage him while he was in jail that he was going to be going to Rome, these are the words. This is what Luke describes happened the very next morning after Paul was encouraged and given hope. It says, the next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath they would not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Paul's sufferings got worse. Remember this, that Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take your cross, and follow me, Matthew 16, 24. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, where was he headed? He was making his final trip toward Jerusalem. He was headed toward his own crucifixion. So Jesus is saying that just as he faced the hatred of Satan, finally culminating in the cross, so will anyone who follows Jesus draw the same fury and fire from hell. You will find yourself sharing the sufferings of Jesus because Satan will do all he can to destroy you. So how many of you would agree that uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, Satan's number one intention is to destroy your faith? That's what he's out to do. and His big tool is, is suffering and pain because that suffering and pain sometimes can get so intense that it obscures our ability to see God. It it certainly obscures our ability to feel God sometimes. Sometimes our feelings and emotions can get so numbed in the midst of pain that we can't feel anything. It's sort of flat. That can happen to Christians. He wants to destroy our confidence and our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. One of the things Jesus said, one of his very last words to his, his disciples in the upper room were these. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, have courage, because I have overcome the world. The Apostle Peter also understood this, and this is what he says about that. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as though something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world on the day when Jesus Christ comes again. So, what kept Paul going as a follower of Jesus in the middle of all the blows that were coming his way? Well, Luke makes that so clear. Because in the 15 chapters that are devoted to recording Paul's story and his ministry, Luke records Paul three times telling what was at the heart of it all. And that was that day he was on the road to Damascus hating Jesus, but then Jesus revealed himself. The risen, resurrected Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Paul tells this story Three times to us in the space of those 15 chapters because that's what changed his life. That's what kept him going. Paul's faith and trust is in Jesus. His personal experience of Jesus revealing himself to him. What he once tried to stamp out as a rumor, a belief that was just held by a bunch of fanatics in a religious cult, Paul came to believe beyond all doubt Because the risen Jesus revealed himself to him personally. And that's the message of Christianity. That Jesus reveals himself to human beings, even in the 21st century, who come to him in the way we're going to explain in just a moment. So when Jesus reveals himself to a human being, it changes that person. You have a new view of reality. You have... A much larger view than the shrinking view of reality that the 21st century wants to hand to us, that our lives really have very little significance, and that we're basically accidents that you know, just happened to, to appear in the cosmos, but there's really no significance to our lives. We're going to be here a while, we're going to die, and that's it. Make it the best you can for the 40, 50, 30, 20, in some case, five years that you've got. That's all there is to it. Well, Jesus says, that's not all there is to it. There's much more to it. And we can have that assurance that that's true. If we open our hearts to allow Jesus Christ, the risen, resurrected Christ, to reveal himself to us personally. So, how does a person in the 21st century meet Jesus Christ? Well... Paul explained it. God is not real to us in our, God is not real to us many times because we've been separated from God by our sins. We've all done wrong, and Paul taught this everywhere he went. We're separated from God. We're not aware of him like we were created to be. And so what he says is come to Jesus repenting of the sins that have separated us from God. Get rid of that barrier and that divorce that we have with God. How can we do that? Upon what basis? Jesus died on the cross taking the blame and the judgment for your sins and mine so that that barrier can be removed and it's, re- be, it's been removed when we receive his forgiveness. And Jesus is so desiring to forgive every human being. When we ask him forgiveness, the barrier is gone. And then Jesus Christ reveals himself personally, deeply, to that human being who's coming in repentance, a repentant heart. That's what happened in my life. That is what has happened in tens of millions of people who have come to faith in Christ. This is not just some set of religious tenets that you're asked to force yourself to believe and hope that it's true. That is not Christianity. Paul would not have died something so weak and anemic and unconvincing as that kind of a Christianity. Paul met Jesus, and you can meet Jesus if you haven't met him. He wants to reveal himself to you. He'll reveal himself to the deepest part of your being called your spirit. And, out, and, you, and when that happens, your life will be flooded with an awareness of God that you did not think is possible. God will become alive and real inside of you. And your, your, your desires are going to undergo a tremendous change. You're going begin, to begin to hunger for God. You're going to begin to want to study the scriptures. You're going to begin to want to pray. It changes a person's life. You're going to begin to want to tell other people about the reality of Jesus Christ. That's what happened in Paul. It's the message of the gospel today too. If we reach out and embrace it. So the message here is if you're here today and you're a person who has never come to Christ in the way we've just described. Come. There, you know, There's that show on television. It's been on forever. I think it was even on when I was a kid. I think it's called Let's Make a Deal right? Okay. There is no deal offered humanity that comes close to this one. Not, not, not even close. To know God and to have your whole life filled with significance and purpose and meaning. And come to know yourself and why you were created. We can only know that through knowing Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, if you've never taken that step, to take that today. You can do that where you're seated by Saying, Lord, I know I've sinned, I've blown it, forgive me, Lord. I, I mean it sincerely, Lord. I, I, I receive you as my Savior. Come into my life. Jesus will come into your life. Followers of Jesus, sometimes we can get so wrapped up in our activities and the busyness of life, and I've already said sometimes we can get so deluged in the pain of life that we, we lose our, our, our bearings spiritually. We can recover our bearing spiritually if we will take that time day by day to remind ourselves the foundation of our faith rests upon that that day, that moment when Jesus revealed himself to us. And we can point back to that time in our life when we first came to know the reality of Christ. Hang on to that and continue to stand firm in that testimony. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are present. We thank you, Father, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the foundation upon which our faith is built, and that it's not simply a fact of history. It, is a, it can become a living reality to each of us if we, as we open up our hearts and allow Jesus Christ to demonstrate in our own hearts that he is risen indeed. So, Father, I pray for any person praying that prayer and coming to you in that way today. Lord, reveal yourself powerfully to that person today. And, Lord, for those of us who have been in the way and following, Lord, help us to take a new grasp, a new grip, on that we stand in the presence day by day and in the path that our life takes, no matter what we're facing in that path, the resurrected Jesus Christ is with us every step of the way. So Father, we give you praise for this and we thank you for it in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Amen.